My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. When I first looked into um, investing in property, uh, I, I, read, I read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. So the first thing he says is to go out and uh, become uh, educated so you know what you're doing. So I, I did a course, but taking that very first step into buying my first investment property was very interesting. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with development manager and author of Property Bloom, Joe Shivers. Tune in to hear how she transitioned from corporate marketing into her 20-year passion for property development as a career. Then discover how as a young mum, the simple act of picking up a book changed her life. While a specialist in property development, Shivers is what anyone would consider multi-talented. I am the director of Property Bloom, Australia Proprietary Limited, which is a project management company. We project manage small property development for our clients. And I've been had this business for 15 years now. And over that time, we've developed over 100 properties for our clients. I do write blogs um, and I've been published on a few of the websites. So propertyobserver.com.au is one of the main um, uh, websites that I write for. Uh, I also publish the blogs on my own website, which is propertybloom.com.au. And um, and then we just feed them out to whoever may be interested. We do get some inquiries from magazines, um, Australian Property Investor and your Property Investment Magazine as well. I write for uh, when they contact me. So yeah, I'm just I'm a bit of a writer as well. Shiva's talents certainly don't stop her from taking on responsibility. Well, we project manage small property development. So my typical day will involve a lot of project management, either from uh, my office over the phone, connecting with my builder, my site managers, my um, real estate agents, uh, land developers, uh, talking to a lot of people and, of course, our clients. Also, um, a lot of email work as well. But when we're on on site, once a week, we inspect, uh, we do a site inspection for the projects that are under construction. So we are on site uh, each week inspecting where the builder is at, uh, what stage they're at, and then we'll report that back to our clients. So we write uh, a detailed update report every every week for our clients. So they, they can stay in touch with what's happening with their development. They can see photos, but they actually don't need to do anything um, rather than re- you know, other than read our reports. So yeah, it can be quite a variety of things I'll be doing through a, through a day. Throughout her developing career, Shivers has had to build her own foundations as much as her properties. Project management and property development, you know, it's really quite hands-on and it's, it's really about the experience that you have. So I guess it's about communication is um, key in this type of job and this type of um, uh, role, I guess. Communicating with, you know, a variety of people. Um, it could be, you know, some of our consultants like engineers or surveyors. Um, as I mentioned, real estate agents and a builder is obviously important that we communicate with them very, very regularly. Um, but yeah, I suppose that um, is one of the you know things that you need to be able to do if you're going into property development and uh, or and or project management. Like most people, Shiva's life hasn't been a linear progression. 
Um, I'm from Sydney, and I haven't actually mentioned yet, but we do focus our developments on the Hunter region, but a lot of people think I'm, I'm originally from the Hunter region in New South Wales, but I'm actually born and bred in Sydney. I still live in Sydney. Uh, I was... Um, I went to school in Sydney. Uh, I actually did, when I left school, I travelled for for quite a while, uh, two and a half years backpacking around the world like a lot of people do. It was a bit of a gap year, I guess. I came back. Um, I actually went into marketing, corporate marketing, um, as a career. So I, I sort of started in that um, as a project, uh, pro- product manager and then moved up into marketing manager and I found that after about 10 years in that career, it was a fantastic background for what I actually do now because communication and marketing and PR and writing, that kind of thing, I, I draw a lot of those skills plus plus analysis skills as well that you learn when you market and you're managing you know, big brands. Um, but I, I got to the top of that career ladder and thought, gosh, you know, am I really happy here? I was thinking of having a family at that stage and I thought, how can I stay in the corporate world and and still, you know, have have children and and be able to to, to still enjoy my work. I am a person who loves to work, so uh, for me, well, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But for me, to just sort of convert into a stay-at-home mum, which is a very important role, um, I couldn't see myself sitting still long enough. If Shivers didn't realise the power of books, she was about to. So I actually left that corporate world. I did read at the same time as pregnant with my first son, picked up a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and read that book and and the little light bulbs popped on at that moment and I thought, gosh, I think this is what I really want to do. Firstly, we didn't have at that stage any investments. Um, My husband and I hadn't um, built up any investments apart from the super annuation that we we both had through our jobs. And I thought, gosh, we need to, um, you know, start investing and, and building for our future. One of the messages that Robert Kiyosaki has in the book is really to become educated, to become financially literate. And it's really important um, that you do that rather than just hand over your money to someone else to manage and not really know what, what you know, where it's being invested and what's going on. So I um, embarked in a course to educate myself financially, but also in property. Um, He talks about investments and building up your own investment portfolio so you you don't have to rely on governments moving forward and into into our older years and, you know, having to rely on pensions. So that really rang home for me as well because my parents, you know, were on the pension. They didn't have any... Uh, investments built up either. They they retired in a beautiful spot, but they were really cash poor. They had a lovely home that they were living in, but they really couldn't do anything um, in their retirement years. So I really wanted something different for myself and my family. So that was all part of my motivation starting off. According to Shivers, that feeling of finally understanding the steps to financial freedom is pretty hard to top. Pregnant with my first son um, 15 years ago, sitting in this course, which is quite an intensive course back then, and it was a, a year a year long course. But in the course, it was amazing. I learned all the different strategies that you can use um, with property to invest. Uh, so I came out of that course, and, and um, we had our, we had bought a family home by that stage, and there was some equity had been built up in that family home. So I started investing. In back then, this was the year 2000, in off-the-plan uh, style projects. Now, off-the-plan buying apartments off-the-plan back then, it's very different to buying off-the-plan right now. Uh, so the, the developer used to offer a discount for you buying in uh, and buying off the plan, and then if you did it at the correct time in the cycle and the market was moving up, then you would make some equity by the time you settled that apartment and you could draw that out and then... And, um, then use that equity to keep moving forward. Of course, nothing tops the feeling of putting that newfound education into practice. I started investing, I bought four properties in that in that using that strategy and, and they're all spaced out so they weren't all at once and, and as one one would settle, I'd draw out the equity, get ready for the next one to settle and so forth. But what I did find out, the properties were in Sydney, one was a commercial office suite and, and three were apartments in Sydney. I did find out that once they were settled, um, they were all quite negatively geared. Uh, so I needed to find a cash flow. I needed to find something that's going to give me more cash flow um, to be able to hold on to those properties 
and and still still move forward in the investment journey. So that's when I started looking outside of Sydney. I basically had a look at the map and I went, okay, where's a two-hour radius from Sydney? I looked down south of Sydney and up north. I found the Hunter Ridge and I went up and did a lot of due diligence up there, had a really good look around and was amazed at what was going on in the region, how um, more affordable property was and how bigger the blocks were. Shiva's discovery turned out to be the next chapter in her investment journey and her first step towards her new career. She just didn't know it. So that's when I switched my strategy to development and I found a house on a big thousand square meter block. I renovated the house, uh, built a duplex, subdivided and that was my very first development. I had a few friends watching, you know, that I'd share my stories with and watching what I was doing and and two of those friends said, gosh, can you find us a a project like that? And um, I said, sure, sure. And that's when I realized, oh gosh, maybe I can make a business out of this. Uh, sourcing development sites, project managing them, managing them for people. Uh, and that's how Property Bloom was born, basically. So with the first two clients being friends, you know, I was sort of really learning myself. I was still very much learning and that, and that is the best way to learn is to go through um, physically and, and do, and, you know, try a strategy and actually carry it out and you'll learn far more than, say, studying that. So um, after that, I need, obviously needed to find some more clients. I presented my concept to a financial planning company and they loved the concept. In fact, the financial planner herself did a project with me and then referred me to a few of their clients and that's when I also started writing articles as well to get myself, uh, get a little bit of awareness up about what what my service was about, obviously put the website up and and it's been a slow and steady, you know, climb really from 15 years ago to now. While distance to capital cities is usually an indicator of price, Shivers says there are other ways to add value. Right now, you know, with uh, Property Bloom is, is doing very well working around Newcastle at the moment. But what we tend to do, depending on what the market is dictating, what, the, what part of the cycle each of the cities are, the Hunter is made up of a, um, a handful of large cities and also a lot, a lot more smaller towns as well. So we look around that region, we find, uh, we look at the economic indicators and we, we find out where that particular city or town is in the cycle and then we'll work in that area and then we may move on when some market conditions change. So at the moment we've been working in Newcastle um, and that's been fantastic for us because there's been a lot of infrastructure work going on in that area. And um, yes, the business has organically grown, I guess you would say, over that period of time. Most of our clients now are regular uh, clients in the fact that they'll come back and do another project with us when they finish one. Um, and also, we, we do operate a lot of referral business as well. So people just you know mention us to their friends or family and we end up doing some work for them too. Shiva says she likes to work in the transition areas, turning homes that are money takers into money makers. Our clients are really usually um, investors, people who have invested in property in the past but are looking for that next step uh, into adding value and they understand the concept of adding value rather than say um, buying a a property and then sitting and holding it and waiting for capital growth. Uh, What we do when we do a project is we create equity through the development process. So a typical property bloom development will be a dual occupancy project where we'll find a site where we can build two dwellings and now they may be attached or detached. Um, if they're attached dwellings, it will be a duplex that we build. It's quite a simple uh, concept. But when you do look for sites, not every site will suit a dual occupancy. Obviously, you need a certain land size, you need a certain frontage. Uh, a lot of uh, land estates may have covenants against dual occupancies. Um, so finding a site is what we do for our clients and then we'll run a feasibility, we'll run an analysis on what the cost may be using estimates from our experience and what we've done in the past and we'll present that to our client. Now, our client will look at the numbers and it purely is about numbers but obviously, obviously it's about location too. So we do a lot of due diligence and research in a location before we would then uh, present that to our client and once we're happy, we know that 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 should be um, a good area because of the fundamentals in that in that market. Then we'll present that. Uh, then we'll look for land within our development site within that that location. Shivers, like many of our previous guests, echoes a common theme: numbers don't lie. Her company tries to transform them from the page into profit. 
So we'll present the numbers to our client. They'll look at them and they can choose whether they'd like to proceed with that project or not. Um, mostly we would only present concepts or present analysis to our clients where the numbers stack up. So to give you an idea, we look to make approximately anywhere between 100 and 200K in equity uh, through the development process. And that's usually created within a 12-month period. Now, that will fluctuate depending on what the, the value of the properties are worth when they're finished. Most of our clients hold and refinance and pull out the equity at the end, but some are selling as well. Um, and it will also depend on, on the building costs as well, the construction costs that they, they, they can increase over time, depending on what's happening in the market currently. There's a bit of a tradie shortage. There's a, there's a housing boom, a construction boom going on. So... Um, construction material and and labour has increased a little bit this year, um, and so we'll, we, then we'll carry that project through. So we'll we'll have put a concept plan together. We'll um, once once our client we look at that with our client, and we obviously try and maximise the space uh, that we've got to use on that project, and then we'll manage the whole process of getting that into council, the DA process getting it approved and then the construction certificate process and then into the construction phase. While experiencing success through a subdivision, Shivers says that's not the only way developers can add value to their property. We do have another strategy which is our granny flat strategy which is more about a high yield strategy rather than an equity creation strategy. And that's when we'll uh, look for existing homes on large blocks of land that only need a you know, cosmetic renovation or an upgrade so we can maximise the rent. We'll then build a granny flat. Now that's, uh, and then, then the, the client will end up with uh, dual income, so two dwellings to, to rent out, but they can't subdivide. So it's not really an equity creation strategy, that one. It's a, and that's a lower entry point as well. So that, that would suit someone who's just looking for a long-term hold uh, to get some good cash flow, um, and uh, yeah, and just and keep moving forward that way. You can still pull some equity out of that, but it will depend on uh, because we're not subdividing the land. It will just depend on what the market's doing. While property investment can seem unachievable, especially for first-time investors, Shiva says the regions can open doors. Okay. Well, the starting point with the granny flat strategy, for instance, is around that four hundred and fifty thousand mark. That's to buy, purchase the initial house and renovation costs, and to build the two-bedroom granny flat. Um, and then we jump up to a dual occupancy project. So as I mentioned, we've been working in Newcastle. So the land costs are a bit, <clears throat> excuse me, higher in Newcastle than they would be, say, in other cities of the Hunter like Cessnock or Maitland. Um, so uh, the, a typical duplex type development, which involves a two-lot Torrance Tidal subdivision. So total costs of that type of project will be anywhere from about 750000 for the landing, construction and subdivision costs. That includes all the council fees and charges as well, and uh, up to about maybe 780 or even 800, depending on how big uh, the block is. So um, you're looking at around that mark, but that's to create two properties. So for 800,000, um, you're, you're creating two properties on their own Torrance title. Uh, if you compare that with what you can buy in Sydney, for instance, um, it's you know it might be a one-bedroom apartment for 800,000 in some areas of Sydney. So it's, it's a good alternate um, option for people wanting to um, diverse and move out of the Sydney market and, and look at other options. And there are other regions in, in other states as well for people listening, obviously outside of New South Wales. You, know, you can look at large regional areas up in Queensland like, for instance, Toowoomba, down in, in, in Melbourne, perhaps like uh, around the Geelong area. I don't know a lot about the regional areas. We've just focused on New South Wales in the other states, but there there is opportunity everywhere and you just need to do your research and find, okay, what are the indicators, what are the infrastructure, what's going on in those larger regional areas and is there growth prospects? Um, and then once you start delving into all of that and find out what is in the pipeline as far as what's going to happen for that city and do your research and order some really good uh, high-quality reports, then you can, then you can, and then you can drill down into specific suburbs within that city and find your own location. Even with decades of property experience, Shivers isn't immune to the everyday challenges of family. Well, my big focus was um, to pay down our principal place of residence first. So once I got the, the investment portfolio up, 
uh, and established, then it was focusing on uh, paying down our, our mortgage on, on our principal place of residence. Unfortunately, my um, marriage didn't uh, didn't work and uh, we did split up a few years ago. So I had to buy my husband out of the family home. So again, um, my focus in the last few years has been to pay, pay down that debt, which I'm doing really well. But just this month, I have purchased my next development site, which is um, in Newcastle, and it will. I've, I've just um, just about to exchange on the block of land, actually. So, so I'm back on that horse, which I've been wanting to do for a little while. But I've had to focus on, um, you know, making sure my mortgage was manageable first, and I obviously created some equity as well in my own home. Shivers still finds joy in the simple concept of appreciation. So it's interesting. For me personally, my strategy is to, to buy and hold long term and I think properties are very much a long term hold because the entry costs are high with stamp duty um, costs. So for me, that's my that's the way I look at things. So I'm really looking forward to getting into my next development myself. Um, but, you know, what I do is I love what I do and project managing for other people is, is you know, it feels like, the, you know, they're my projects as well. Uh, so it's it's great. I've been able to, to keep doing what I love um, for other people until now and I'm getting back into my own development. So I'll just continue from there. My, my strategy really is, you know, for the next, uh, I don't know, I haven't looked too long term, but, you know, at least the next 10 years, um, just continue to to move forward when I can purchase. An important thing for me is, you know, I've got the two kids, I've got two boys, and you know, I just want to make uh, build a future for them. And um, we've got savings accounts set up for them for their first property uh, term deposit, so that each month some money goes into them to their accounts, so that they'll be able to then purchase their first. Little investment property. Shiva says that one of the biggest dangers investors face is to underestimate the power of banks. I'll share two quickly with you. Um, personally, the one there was one because I was um, lending. This is you know 15 years ago, the old low dot type loan because I had my own business. We ended up um, during the GFC and the credit crisis. The lender we had gone with um, ended up selling to a to another. Financier, so that and that other lender. So it was, we were completely at the mercy of, of that that new lender, and our loan was just transferred over to them, and they just um, put the interest rates up, 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 up. And so we were kind of really trapped in that loan for a little while. So that was really quite a lot of pressure because they were still negative. That that property was still negatively geared. Uh, so that was interesting um, to learn that that's what banks can do that. So this was a. It wasn't a, a mainstream bank. It was a you know a low doc lender who got purchased out by another larger lender, and that larger lender just did what they wanted really. Uh, so that was a lesson I learned um, to really understand the banks and what you know what they can and can't do. Basically, you are at their mercy. Um, but it is interesting. That was an interesting lesson to learn. We, we we eventually were able to refinance away from that, but it did take a while. And also back then, at the, um, some of those lenders had um, exit fees, which is now abolished, which is fantastic. But again, you know, if you did um, exit out of the out of the loan within a certain period of time, you were hit with another exit fee. So that was an important lesson to be really um, to research my lenders more carefully. Um, and but if we look at it from a development perspective, I guess um, it wasn't it wasn't a bad development, but it was something we ended up we ended up in a place that we we didn't plan to be in the beginning. Or the maze of dealing with council. We had a client. I found a, a large block of land, a thousand square meter block of land, where we could build three dwellings. So it was a three unit project. Um, we put that into council. We had already precedence in the market and there was no reason why it shouldn't. We were meeting all the, the requirements of the development control plan and, and the LEP of that council. But what happened during that time that the, the DA was in the council, the council actually went under administration. So New South Wales Planning actually um, looked at that council's performance and said, you're too slow and they were very slow. <laughs> However, we were just, we'd been in council for about 
three months, I think, at that stage. And, and with the communication with the town planner, he said, yes, it's just about to be released. It's like right at the end stage of that DA processing, you know, uh, process. So uh, when they did go in under administration, what happened was an independent planning panel was put in place to take over all of all of the DAs that were currently in council. So this panel of planners came from all different areas. I think there were five new planners that were put on from different, mostly from Sydney councils actually, onto this panel. So they all looked at the DAs in different light and um, that DA for the three units was was rejected and we didn't get even a chance to, they didn't even tell us what, you know, what grounds they were rejecting it. They just rejected it and after they had rejected it, they, they gave us a letter with why. Um, and we had met all of the, the requirements of the DCP, but it was, it was a bit of a grey area with the way um, the perception of of the requirements can be taken. So um, because they rejected it, we couldn't redesign or make changes to that current plan. We actually had to lodge a new DA. Um, and after a lot of consulting and, and discussion with our clients and our town planning consultant, town planning consultant, we decided that we'd go in with a dual occupancy, so two dwellings, so two larger, a design with two larger dwellings, um, rather than push the boundaries with the three, three unit dwelling. All investments have an element of risk and the best laid plans can still fall through. Shivers says to keep moving forward, You've got to learn from when things don't go perfectly. The long and short of it was that we still finished the project. It took a bit longer because we had to go back into council, redesign, go back in. However, our clients ended up with two large dwellings instead of three smaller ones. Uh, the equity creation was less than what we had originally estimated because of that. However, you know, it, it still it still worked out in the end. They still ended up with um, a development that was complete and the yield was the rental yield was good and equity creation was there as well. So I guess that's an example of, you know, how when um, when you're developing property, you are at, uh, there are certain stages where you really don't have a, have control um, and council is one of those stages where you, you are, all you can do is design something that doesn't meet their requirements. But when something like that happens, I mean, that was a very abnormal type of situation to happen. But um yeah, we, we were really at their mercy. We, we didn't have a say. Property is all about timing. The buy, the sell, the hold. Shivers says that if you invest long enough, you eventually get it right. And the other good moment was when, when you find a location that just stacks up. It's amazing because um, when you look at numbers, you start off with an estimate, and you do have to estimate, of course, what the what the future um, value may be when you finish that development. Um, and so, I'm always very conservative with with that with that type of estimation. All you can just go on is what comparable sales are in the market, and then you know see what happens during that period that you are under development. But what I found this area in Newcastle that was just um, just had some fantastic growth during the time that we were developing. So that's the real sweet spot. If you can find a location where the actual, where the capital growth is, is, is happening and starting and you're developing at the same time, that's when you can create that, those, um, you know, more equity because you're getting a combination of creating equity through the development process, but also the market moving the right, right direction at the right time. And it will stop. I know it will stop. However, um, the, the good thing about property development is you are creating that buffer of equity. So if the market just stops today and plateaus for a few years, we're still creating a chunk of equity. Um, whereas if you bought a property and you, you bought it just before the market stopped, um, then you've got to wait till it's in that next part of the cycle before the capital growth will come. So in a way, developing, it's got a little, you're building in a little bit of a safety net for yourself because the, the equity is created through the land subdivision. Um, so what you're, you're ending up creating two or three or four properties from the one piece of land and you'll still create some equity no matter where the cycle is, but obviously when it's timed right and in getting the combination of, of uh, capital growth at the same time, that's that's the um, yeah, that's a great. Another of Shiva's development discernments is the target market. The end market for what we're building um, is the downsizers. So I, I know when I did my marketing course and all uh, looking at marketing 
in general, you know, we all know that the baby boomers was a massive segment of the market. So, of course, they're all coming through right now and they're retiring, getting to that retirement stage. And so they are downsizing. So that it's interesting just to, to see that sort of phenomenon, if you like, in the market taking place. So what I'm excited about is actually creating something for that market. So uh, for our clients that are selling, um, we're really thinking about, okay, what can we put in there that's going to appeal to this type of um, baby boomer or to the downsizer who's selling the big family home, they're wanting something low maintenance, um, they still want all of the facilities of uh, with this particular state that, that, um, that are on offer there, you know, close to the shops, transport, um, those sort of facilities, but they don't want the big you know, five-bedroom family home on a large block that they've got to be mowing lawns every second week. So we're thinking about what what do they what did it, what did that market need? So it's quite exciting when you when you can when you know that 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 is a target market that you can actually build to. Uh, so I think that, that that's that's exciting at the moment. But also there's some um, interesting other things coming into construction processes that that are saving time and um, and costs as well. Coming up after the break, we hear how Shivers battles with self-doubt. It really came down to believing in myself and having to back myself. I had all the research and the data that I collected, um, so everything stacks up. But then I still had to take that, that, that step forward. How to support a network set up for success. To put those people on your team um, that, have, that are active in what you're doing, so people who are investing in properties. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, let's be real. Deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall allowing for the development to continue. Five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So, do you want to get a better return with lower risk on your money? Then register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. It's often easier to try something new when we understand how it works. When I first looked into um, investing in property, uh, I, I, read, I read the book with Chad Pordet. So, the first thing he says is to go out and uh, become uh, educated so you know what you're doing and also financially literate. So I, I did a course but taking that very first step into buying my first investment property was very interesting because at the time, this was 15 years ago, but I remember researching as part of my course a case study on a, on a suburb. I had to identify a suburb that was going to be a, like a, a slow-on suburb. So perhaps the suburbs around it had, had some capital growth and it was it was yet yet to hit that particular suburb. So I found a suburb, I researched that and it was a local suburb to where I, where I lived. Shiva says there comes a point where trying eventually trumps training. It was interesting looking at that particular suburb and then I had to find a development within that suburb that I could use as a case study. So I found a small boutique block of four apartments that were being built in this suburb and typically in the past the suburb was a sleepy kind of it was a beach suburb but mostly uh, contained really old say 1950 type uh, old apartment blocks or just the little beach shacks so this lovely little development was being built right on the waterfront on the lake it was there was a lake there and a beach ocean as well and um, But the pricing, when I looked at the pricing of these apartments, it was really hard to get my head around, okay, they're going to cost, um, I think at the time it was something like 600000 let's just use that, that, that figure, 600000 At the time, the median price was probably around 400000 And it was just hard to look into the future and say, okay, now, is this really going to be worth 600000 when the developer finishes? 
it was only going to be a 12-month process for it was only a small block of four apartments that he was building. Um, but I could see all of the other indicators as far as looking around at the other suburbs and that's the flow-on effect. Um, and I really, it really came down to believing in myself and having to back myself. I had all the research and the data that I collected, um, so everything stacked up. But then I still had to take that 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 step forward, and um, I decided to purchase one of the apartments as a, you know part of the, my very first portfolio of um, investment properties. But it was a real mindset of okay, look, you've got to really trust yourself. You've done all the research, um, but it was yeah, it was quite difficult to take that very first step. So I, I do understand why people get caught up in what some people refer to as um, analysis paralysis. And they, they research and research or they do course after course, but they don't take that first step. So it's really important that you actually do do move forward with the knowledge that you gain and, and the research that you, you put together. And if you think it is a good, a good investment, then take action. So taking action is the... I found at the time quite a hard step to take. She says that patient practice pays off, literally. Well, I did end up selling that property on completion because I knew it was going to be quite negative. Um, that was my very first investment property purchase and I made $200,000 um, within a 12-month process. So that was the big, oh my God, this property game is fantastic, but I was very, very lucky. So, again, it was the year 2000. The market was moving up. We were having that uprise in Sydney. Um, these little sleepy beach suburbs were being developed. And then after that, you know, if I look at that suburb now, it is full of, you know, new development everywhere. So it was, you know, I did my research. I did identify it as, as a emerging suburb, and, and that was right in hindsight. But um, I was lucky too because it was an off-the-plan purchase and the market was moving up. Even property veterans have someone to thank for their success. Shivers says that she has more than one and you should too. Unfortunately, the course I did is not offered now but during that course, um, it was fantastic. But you know, you, like you take in all the information that they're telling you but you still need to go and do a little bit more research on, on your own as well. Um, so. Uh, mentors as well. You know, at the time, I think Margaret Lomas was she was she had a lot of books she'd been writing, and so I, I've read a few of her books. Um, I think you need to pick and choose your mentors closely. You, you need to look for people or businesses that you know aren't going to push you into a particular area. So it is really important to have a really good accountant on your side so you can look at numbers with someone in that area of expertise and also a really good lawyer as well. Again, you can look at contracts or you can look at um, you know different agreements with a lawyer and they can advise you there in that area. So you know, my mentors actually became my team as well. So my, my accountant at the time and my lawyer at the time, I would really rely on, on, on what they thought of a particular deal that I was looking at because they had experience. And it is important to have uh, to put those people on your team um, that have that are active in what you're doing. So people who are investing in property, so an accountant that is property, has property experience, for instance, himself or herself, um, so that you can, you know, you can chew the fat with them. It's not just other people you can learn from. Shiva says you have to be confident by yourself first. I think it's educating yourself, becoming educated in whatever you're going to be investing in, because then you can then you can really. Um, I think that's going to really support whatever you do moving forward. In the fact that if you understand um, that process, because you've been educated and you're not just okay handing your money over to someone else to manage for you, then I think you know you're going to do far better. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying that there are some great operators out there who will invest your money for you, but you, you really have the responsibility of, of understanding how they're going to do that and and, um, and understanding their process. So becoming educated in property investment in general is very very important. In saying this, the development process can be complex. Shivas tries to streamline her tactics to control what she can. So well, let's look at take a, a typical duplex style development. So that's a dual occupancy development where we're building two attached dwellings. And in this case, we've been building three bedroom, two bathroom, single garage, attached dwellings. And it's referred to as a duplex. 
If you were doing three dwellings and they were attached, that would be referred to as a triplex. A lot of people get confused between a dual occupancy and a duplex. Um, you can have a dual occupancy where the where the dwellings are freestanding, for instance. So that's still a dual occ, but they're freestanding. So typically, what we've been doing lately is a duplex development with a tor- two lot torrent tidal subdivision. So the process starts with identifying correct land. So so site selection is very, very important in property development. If you choose the wrong site from, from the beginning, then you're going to um, you're not going to have a great development as, as it all expands out over the process. So site selection is very important. You need to understand what the council requirements in that location are. So you need to know what size land you're looking for. You need to make sure you've got the right frontage. You need to make sure that it has not too much fall. If it's falling to the rear, that there's some sort of drainage easement and the sewer is running along that rear. If it's falling to the road, then you then um, you need to even check the front, the curb and guttering, and if there's any any anything that may hin- hinder where you want to locate the driveway, for instance, it could be a, a drain in the gutter, it could be a sewer. Um, manhole, something like that that you need to avoid. So site selection is really important and then it's of course going into the analysis and understanding that the other costs that are associated, so you've got your land cost and then you'll have your um, stamp duty and legal costs to enter into into that per- land purchase but then from there you'll have consultant fees and charges, you'll, have, you'll need to have a contour survey done by a surveyor. Uh, you may need to use an engineer. We will need to use an engineer for a stormwater plan, for instance, that you'll probably need to lodge with your DA. You'll need to have a draft people or an architect to work with. And then the most important person is, of course, the builder. According to Shivers, a reliable builder is worth their weight in gold. Finding them requires some tricks of the trade. To research your builder can be quite difficult if you're starting out, you've never used a builder in that area. So it's a matter of having a really good chat with a lot of builders and, and going and having a look at what they're doing. Um, one little trick and secret that I use is to talk to the tradies on site who are working for that builder. Ask them, you know, how do you like working for this builder? What's, what, what are they like? Uh, do they pay you on time is a really important question because if the trades are being paid on time then they're happy um, if they're you know not being paid on time then they'll probably tell you because they're a bit paid off so um, that can be one way of researching a builder it's really hard to understand the builder's financial situation but the, the worst thing that can happen is you're going into liquidation when you're halfway through your construction so it's important to find a good builder Shiva says that property bloom thrives in simplifying the many moving parts of the development process, which can seem intimidating. Once you've got that team of people together, then um, then the process should flow. Uh, you will need to understand, as I mentioned, that the council requirements and you'll need, you may need a town planning consultant as well if it's an area that you're not familiar with and they can help, you, help guide you through um, the design and making sure it is meeting all of the requirements of council. Um, so the idea is to get your DA into council as quickly as possible because time is money and, and holding costs. As soon as you settled on that land, you're starting to pay holding costs on the land. Um, we try, we strive to have our DAs lodged before settlement of the land. So we get a lot of uh, work done up front very, very quickly, as quickly as we can, so that we're ready to lodge with council as settlement takes place. Um, you can actually lodge with council in the settlement period, if the land is registered, uh, you'll just need a permission letter from the, the vendor who you're buying the land off. Um, in most cases, we're buying land that's unregistered, so we can't lodge our DA until that registration takes place. But we have everything stacked up and ready to go. As soon as it goes into council, then it's a matter of trying to manage that as closely as possible. Councils will all work at their own pace, um, but all you can do is stay in touch with um, the town planner allocated to the DA and um, see what they can offer you as far as where each stage is at. Some some councils have um, have a timeline on their, um, what do you call it, sorry, I've just forgotten the name of it. A, um, on their website, you can add a tracker, sorry, DA tracker. So you can actually jump onto the website and see where your DA is at. Amazingly, reaching the end of the council maze doesn't mean the end of red tape. Shiva says the key is to be quick. So once it comes out of council, uh, there's still a lot of work to do before you can start construction. So you need to get a construction certificate or a building certificate. Um, and we switch over from council. We, we use a private certifier for that work because it is a lot quicker. Um, so you need to have more construction certificate plans done up again, more engineering 
for instance, that slab needs to be engineered, slab design, and then those construction certificate plans are lodged with the private certifier or council, and, and then you're issued with a construction certificate. Now, that's when you can start building, um, but then you also need to have the construction finance in place. So the banks will require all of the DA-approved and CC-approved plans, uh, as well as the builder's contract, before they'll release funds for you to start building. So that finance process can take, gosh, up to three months sometimes with some banks. It's very frustrating. So the idea is to get all of the documentation together as quickly as you can into the bank um, so that they can get that finance, that construction loan in place. Then you can start building. So once you get under construction, then it's really important that you manage that closely with your builder and that they are achieving the milestones that, that they should be each week uh, with each building phase and stage. So um, that, you know, things again can get quite bogged down in the construction phase. We have a fantastic builder who completes our duplexes within usually about four months. So um, that's great. So again, try and keep the builder on track. Communication is key. After construction comes the final phase of development. And once you're coming up to the end of construction, then that's when if you're holding the properties, you would you brief a property manager and let them start advertising them for lease, even just as you're finishing construction so that hopefully you have tenants lined up at um, handover when you're finished and the, the last invoice is paid to the builder and the keys are released and you have tenants ready to move in. If you're selling, you can do the same thing and get them listed on the market for sale. You know, I usually wait till about lock-up so people can see it physically coming uh, out of the ground and being established and um, and then you can hopefully have a sale ready to settle as you're finishing construction as well. So time is money in development. It's always important just to have everything moving as quickly and as smoothly as possible throughout the whole process. Shivers thinks all developers should ask themselves one question before any new project. How am I adding value? I learned um, my very first investments were just buy and holds or they, they were off the plan but I could see uh, with the off the plan process back then again in the year 2000 when I started it's very different to now but the, the developer gave a discount for people buying off the plan um, but I, that got me interested in that developing process because I could see if okay if we're making a little bit of a margin by getting in early buying off the plan and maybe if you're lucky some capital growth will come and then when you settle that property it, sh- it may be worth more than when you bought it um, that's fantastic. But when what sort of margin is developer making? So that actually got me quite interested in in the development process. It's the value add that you can do through other strategies. It doesn't have to be um, you know new dwellings. It can be a house renovation where you add value um, and you add an, another room, for instance, another bedroom, or you make a double garage, or you you put an, you know a granny flat on that project. It's about adding value. So rather than just buying a a dwelling and holding it and waiting for capital growth, if you can be active and add value, then that's going to create some equity through that process. Shivers has also shared with us some of the personal habits that have contributed to her success. Well, I like to stay fit. Um, I think if you're fit and healthy, that's very important and, you know, that's great. Uh, A habit, I would say, to do with actually my strategy... Um, I think it's research. You know, research, I'm always researching. I'm always looking for the next location. So, um, but you, you can spend a lot of time doing that. So, I think over the years, I've kind of got a little bit of a process or a system in place where I can very quickly, because I know that location, I do specialize in the Hunter region. So, I've become very familiar with most of the cities and towns that, in, that we've been working in. So, I can very quickly assess assess a a property that's coming onto the market or that that I might see being advertised and see whether that's going to stack up as a development site. Um, So I think it's a matter of finding, just fine-tuning a process for yourself and whatever uh, strategy you're going to be using so that when when you do when when you do have to do your research, whatever you know it is, that you've got a little process that you follow. Um, because you can get quite caught up with the internet and all of a sudden you're looking at a property on that page and then here you are over on this page because there's been a link and you're reading a blog about that. Or, and, and, you know, the internet's a fantastic research tool that can be quite time-waster at times too. So you really need to be focused on what you're trying to achieve. Shiva's research mainly extend to find the perfect location. So 
once you find, for us, we find that we found the region, which is the Hunter region, that we found the city, which might be Newcastle. Then we find the suburb that we're going to work in. And then just focus on that and becoming an expert on that one suburb because, again, like you say, there's so many options out there that you could be just sidetracked and looking at other locations. If you, if you identify a suburb as having some potential, then really become familiar and, and understand what's going on in that suburb. And then you'll get to know the streets and you'll get to know the lot sizes and you'll get to know the local agents and you'll become an expert in that particular area. And then it'll be very quick for you to see when, when an opportunity comes up in that suburb. So I think a lot of people just go, okay, where am I going to invest? And then start, like you say, searching on the websites and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of properties out there um, and it becomes overwhelming finding you know, the right investment. You can hear more about Shiva's property journey in some of her own work. I helped co-author that book um, quite a while ago, probably 10 years ago, and I wrote the chapter on development and subdivision. So it is an awesome resource um, and you can buy that, I believe, through propertywomen.com.au. That was um, a group of, of ladies that I started to do some talks with and, again, really good network of, of women in property. Um, so Property is a Girl's Best Friend is a great little book because it goes into a lot more detail of other um, other people who have written other chapters and what their strategy is and, and how, how that can help you move forward. And the other book I've co-authored is Property Millionaire. So that's a great book you can have a look at too because, again, it's, it's, it showcases a group of different people. Um, I can't remember how many, maybe 12 different people and how and what they've done in, in the property industry or in their own personal investment journey. So it's always great to read books and, and be inspired. I think, you know, um, it's great. I find, I find, you know, just learning about other people's journeys is really interesting. Thank you to Joe Schubers, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now. And I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as 6 months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.